Again, this morning, we're, we're entering into a new series in a new message called The Father's Heart. We live in a time where, uh, man, a lot going on, and, and we can uh, think about where is God in the bad? Where is God in the hard? And uh, even when we read hard scriptures, when we read verses and maybe don't make sense, and we're like, God, I thought that you were, you know, good. And, and, and then I read these things that you ever read those verses that, that somehow stir your heart. What, what I want to do through this series is dig and look at the book of Malachi that I believe reveals the father's heart for his kids, for his children. See, uh, I don't know about you if you have kids, but I want to be a dad that is both grace-filled and truth-filled. I want to be a dad that comforts my kids when they need comfort and, and, and have compassion for them. And I also want to be the dad that says, hey, this is, this is the way. And, and please, you know, I, I want to do everything that I can in these 18 years that our culture gives us to train our kids before they move on into adulthood to learn the way of Jesus so that they can go and do even greater things than uh, me and Taylor have here on this earth. We want to equip them. We want to train them and then we want to send them. We want to be both grace and we want to be truth. The problem is, is that I often end up on the truth spectrum. And I say things like, you know, when there's disobedience, which rarely happens in my house, uh, when, when there's disobedience with my uh, eight, six, four, and three-year-old, I say things like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> I say things like, why'd you do that? And, and, and I think that that's good parenting when it's not. Uh, it's my frustration. I had just had a conversation last week with my four-year-old, and, and he was telling me about something, and I, I apologized for something. Y'all, I don't even remember what. I think that my tone was maybe a little too you know, loud and, and assertive, and, and he had told me something, and I didn't hear him, and so then I got frustrated at him for interrupting me for whatever I was doing. And, and so anyway, I apologized to him, and I said, hey, buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I do want to listen to you. I want to hear you. You, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm imperfect. He goes, yeah, I know, dad, you're imperfect and God's perfect, you know? So, so, so he gets that in his little four-year-old mind, which really is the goal in parenting, because I don't know what your relationship with your dad was like. Maybe you've never met your dad. Maybe you, you have such a distant relationship with your earthly dad, or, or maybe um, you're working through some stuff, and, and you're working to have a better relationship with your dad right now. Maybe your relationship with your dad is incredible, and you have a strong bond, and you're able to speak in each other's life, and maybe uh, you are mourning right now the life of of your dad, where wherever we are in relationship with our dad, it's so important that we remember that here on earth, by design, we are imperfect earthly dads, and there is only one perfect heavenly father. And our job as dads, if you are one, is to point to our heavenly father. And so right now, if if even just saying this, you, you feel all uncomfortable and you feel that pain, I pray that through this series, you receive from God's perfect love, from, from his love that, that has no end for his sons and his daughters. See, if we miss that, if we just try move on too fast from God's perfect love, it doesn't take long until we 
hit a brick wall or, or we burn out or, or we grow in bitterness or envy in some way, shape, or form. It's God's perfect love that fuels us through every circumstance that this life throws our way. So that's my aim is to talk about the Father's heart. And again, we're going to be looking at this book of Malachi, last book in the Old Testament. So uh, it's you know, there's Malachi and then there's Matthew, which starts the New Testament. It was written around 430 BC, and it actually comes at a really difficult moment for the people of Israel. So quick story, uh, God chose this man named Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. This is the first book of the Bible. And, and he said, hey, I'm going to bless the whole world through your family. So Abraham has a lot of kids and it ends up with Israel, who's uh, uh, this, this guy who has 12 kids. And, and, and so then God's blessing, really God's focus in God's covenant, his promise is focused on that people group for the entirety of the 12, I'm sorry, of the Old Testament. And what happens is that God is faithful, and then the people of God are disobedient. And then God shows his faithfulness again, and the disobedience is this pattern that keeps on going. This disobedience actually ends up not only in civil war uh, after David's reign, but then they're, they're actually taken over by two other nations, and then those people are brought out into exile. They live there for about 70 years, and then Malachi is written after the people of God go back to Jerusalem and they think that everything is going to be great. And, and that's not the case. And so there's this tension in the book of Malachi where the people are kind of going through the motions of what they're supposed to be doing, but something is missing. And that something is the father's love. And so if you, like me, want to uh, be a, a parent that is uh, full of grace and truth, this is the manual because it teaches us about the heavenly father's love for us. And no matter what our relationship with our earthly dad is like, we can tap into and receive from our perfect heavenly father. Before we dive in, let's pray. God, we thank you for these words that were written uh, thousands of years ago, God, and yet they're incredibly relevant still today. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here. We pray that these words would pierce our hearts, would comfort our souls, and would encourage us to live the way that you're calling us to live to your glory, Jesus. We thank you for this time, and we pray your blessing over this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, a little bit more context, the, the, the people of Israel, they were experiencing economic difficulties when this was written. They were, uh, the priesthood, so the, the religious leaders were kind of bending to the culture. They were lax on a lot of things. There were a lot of marital issues, a lot of divorce going on, uh, unfaithfulness. There were other beliefs circling, sorcery and other things that were creeping in. Uh, there was adultery. There, there was a lot of lying and orphanage and widows, the most vulnerable, were being oppressed, the poor were being defrauded, and uh, foreigners were deprived of justice. If I take that list and, and I think about what we're going through as a culture, there's actually more relevance there isn't there. That's because God speaks to every single season of life, no matter where we may be. So I'm going to read these first five verses, and then we'll take them apart and read about four things that we learn about God's Love four things that we learn about God's perfect love. These first five verses of Malachi read like this, a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. And I've turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called a wicked land, a people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the borders of Israel. You may be thinking, Jose, I thought you said there was both grace and truth. I see a lot of truth in where is this father's heart. Y'all, this is some of the most grace-filled verses in the entire Bible. And they start out by saying a prophecy, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. See, even in difficult times, even when Israel did not deserve to be spoken to through a messenger, uh, this messenger is Malachi, God speaks. From the beginning of time, God speaks. He pursues. That's my first point. The Father's perfect love, uh, proof of that is that God pursues his people. There's disobedience, and yet he pursues. There's disobedience, and he continues to faithfully pursue us. In Genesis chapter 3, one of the first instances of this, we see a man and a woman who are given a choice. Are you going to choose the tree of life, or are you going to choose to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God gave them a choice. He loved us so much that he gave us freedom. He gave us a choice, and what did they choose? They choose the one thing they were told not to. To choose. What does God say? Well, in Genesis 3, 8, 10, this is how God responds to our disobedience. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. My kids do that. When they're in trouble, they hide, or they look up, or they look down. I do that. I don't want people to see when I mess up, I, I try to cover it up quickly. I try to make it up. I'll just do something to cover it. But the Lord God called to the man. Where are you? God pursues them. He doesn't say, why did you do that? <laughs> he doesn't say, what on earth have you done? <laughs> he, he doesn't say those things that I say. He says, where are you? You and, and the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I wonder what are those things that we are hiding from? What are, what are those things that we are guilty about? Those are the very things that God wants to cover us. That's why he's pursuing you, and he's pursuing me, the perfect heavenly father, filled with perfect love to cover sense. He's pursuing us in the same way that God was pursuing people of God through this messenger. That's what Malachi means, this prophet of God. See, uh, in Hebrews chapter 1, it won't be on the screen, it says that from the beginning of time, God spoke through his prophets, but today he speaks through his son, who is the very radiance of Christ. We have a personal relationship to Jesus. And in John chapter uh, 10, it actually talks about that he speaks to us and we can hear his 
voice. It says this, Jesus speaking, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He being Jesus, speaking about himself, calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice, but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. There are so many strange voices around us. Question, are we listening to the good shepherd's voice that is out in front of us, leading us, pursuing us and saying, hey, follow me, trust me. This is the best way. That is the voice of God in our heads, through our thoughts, when we pray, when someone pops up randomly and speaks a word and we're like, whoa, that was not from you. That was from God. When someone says something that just clicks or we read something in his word that just makes sense to us. Are we listening? Because he's speaking. He is pursuing. Let's keep on reading. I have loved you, says the Lord, verse two of Malachi one. This is the first thing that he says. Again, a hard word, a, a, a truth-based word in Malachi for only four chapters and a lot of truth here. We're going to go through it all. But the first thing that he says is what? I have loved you. Jeremiah says that he's loved us with an everlasting love. From the beginning of time, God loved. In the present moment, God loves and he will continue to love. But you ask, how have you loved us? And I love this because it speaks to God responding to us. There's no question that is out of bounds with God. If you're seeking right now, if you're seeking capital T truth, I encourage you to just seek out Jesus, the person of Jesus. Read the gospels and see how he moves, see how he talks, see what he did. And in it, you will begin to see all of who the Father is. The whole Bible does that, but no other uh, uh, book does it the way that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how have you loved us? And, and he responds with this, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord, yet I have loved Jacob. But Esau I have hated, and I have turned his hill country into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. All right, when we read difficult verses in Scripture, let's not shy away from them, let's lean into them, because when we do, we uncover again this root, this Father's heart that is always good. May not be what we want to hear, but it's always good. And, and this is what this is talking about. G Jacob and Esau were brothers. They were twin brothers. And they were in their mom's womb at the same time. And, and then they were born. And, and uh, Jacob was the second born. Esau was born first. And he was born hanging on to, uh, uh, Jacob was born hanging on to Esau's heel. And then they grow up. And then Esau is a hunter. Uh, Jacob stays inside and, and cooks. And, and then uh, Jacob is uh, deceiving Esau. It's a long story. It's in Genesis. Bottom line. Esau sells his birthright to Jacob. He says, you can be the firstborn. It was a common thing that was done back then. But here is the point. We're not going to talk about the context of that story. We're going to talk about God's perfect love in this passage. And, and we see that from Genesis 25, 22 through 23. It says that the babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening to me? Now, moms, if you've had twins, you have all of my respect. 
because there's nothing like having twins. We have boys a year apart. We don't even begin to go there because I can't even imagine having two or three or four, whatever. But anyway, why is this happening to me? That's a good question. So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other. And don't miss this. And the older will serve the younger. See, why did God choose Jacob and not Esau? I don't know. The bottom line is that he chose one before they were even born. <laughs> he chose them, and so he chooses us, period. He just chooses us. Maybe in your relationship with your earthly dad, you, you have to work really, really hard to gain your, their approval, to, to be accepted, the beautiful point of God's perfect love is that he already chose us. We didn't have to interview for the job. We didn't have to try out for the team. He chose us just because he chose his act, not our own. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 makes this point about the people of Israel, why God chose the people of Israel. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He's talking about the Exodus story there. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him. He has chosen us full stop just because it's his choosing. And he chose the, the, this people, the people of Israel. And it's really cool because thanks to his covenant, his promise, we're talking about in a couple of weeks, thanks to that covenant, who, who came from the people of Israel? The anointed one, the Messiah, King Jesus. And through Jesus, every nation on earth is now open to receive the blessing of our perfect heavenly father. So, so when we read things like I've chosen Jacob and hated Esau, we have to realize it's like a marriage deal. You know, when you marry someone, you say, I love this person. You really don't say I hate every other man or woman, you know, but, but what are you doing? You're rejecting all the other uh, men or women that you can marry and you are choosing one, that is the covenant promise that God has made with his people. And then through his people, we have Jesus, whom all now are welcome to say yes to and receive the blessing of God. He chose us. Romans 9 uh, goes on to say, uh, add commentary to these verses. Romans 9, starting in verse 11, Paul writes, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I hated. These are these verses from Malachi. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy, God's perfect 
love. He chose us. He's pursuing us, and it's unmerited. There is nothing that we could have done. These babies, before they were, when they were in their mother's womb, before they did anything good or bad, besides you know jostling inside of mommy's tummy, uh, they, they, it was unmerited grace that was given to them because God chose them. And in the same way, there is nothing that we can do to earn an ounce of God's perfect love for us. It's a free gift that we don't deserve. It's unmerited. And again, thinking about your upbringing, maybe uh, everything was conditional. Maybe uh, you had to work really, really hard for things to be given to you. And that concept of grace is hard to grasp. Let me encourage you. Don't try to understand it. Try instead just to receive it. Just to say yes. Lord, I don't deserve it, but I'm going to go ahead and say yes to your love. And see what starts to happen in here. And see what the transformative power of the grace of Jesus Christ begins to do in you as it has in me. And because it is unmerited, therefore, we can't change it. It's unchanging. It's totally out of our hands. It has nothing to do with what we do in everything to do with what God has done for us. What a beautiful message. And, and I'm reading these passages and then the question pops up. All right, God, I get it. You, you're, you're pursuing us. Your love is perfect because you just continue. Your faithfulness continues. You pursue, you, you chose us just because this love is unmerited. God, why? And, and I can't change it. Got it. Why do you love us? Why did you choose to be like uh, or to give me this type of love? And the answer, super important that we get this. It's in 1 John 4, 16 through 19. First three words, God is love. It's who he is. That's who our heavenly father is. He is love. And whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. This helps us read the rest of these verses in Malachi when he's talking about destroying what the Edomites are building. In verse 4 in Malachi, it says, Edom may say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says, they may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land of people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, great is the Lord even beyond the border of Israel. God is love. And his love preserves us. His love covers us. It protects us. And so what, the Edom, what God is saying to the Edomites is they were actually a rival to Israel. And so he was telling Israel, I'm going to preserve you because, again, through you, the whole world has an opportunity to be saved. I'm rescuing the entire world through this people that I have chosen, the Israelites. And in order for that to happen, I need to preserve them. I need to protect them. Therefore, any rival I will make sure is taken care of. Our rival is not another people group. Our rival is sin, which leads to death. That's our rival. And when you are in Jesus Christ, you have been preserved through the blood of Christ and will no longer experience 
death. That's the promise of the gospel. Jesus poured out his blood so that he could preserve us, so that we didn't have to deal with the destruction that will come in 1 John 4. It talks about this day of judgment, and there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. That fear is being away from God, is, is, is spending eternity separate from our perfect heavenly Father. And he said, when you're in me, because I am love, you, you should fear that because I got you. I've chosen you. I've preserved you through what I have done for you. The Father's perfect love preserves us. It casts out all fear. I wonder what is maybe something that you're afraid of right now? What does it look like to give that up to God? What does that look like to give it up to your heavenly father and say, Lord, this is not of you. I want to receive your perfect love so that this fear, rational or irrational, can be driven out so that I could be preserved to do what you've called me to do here on earth. The father's receiving the father's perfect love is the first step. I had a conversation with my uh, eight-year-old. She was in the back of the car. All the conversations happen in the car. Have you noticed that? They're always on the way. You know, when I try to have a, a serious conversation, sometimes it works, but oftentimes it's just when, when it happens. And, and I've learned to just, you know, try to stop all the distractions and really zero in on where they are. And, and so Ayla was asking me about this apple and she said, dad, why, why did this apple kill them. It doesn't make any sense. It's an apple. And so I explained and I said, well, it's not the apple uh, that created death. It's the disobedience from God that created death. And she looked at me and said, God is bossy. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but he's bossy because, well, like, you know, when mom and dad want you to, you know, do something and, and we want you to grow and, and, and flourish in this life, we do, we tell you to do some things that you don't want to do. She goes, yeah, you're bossy too. And I'm like, shoot. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uh, uh, going in. Um, but, but then I started talking about all the dangerous things that I know because I've been around for a little longer. So I'm like, hey, you know, I know some things that you don't. And um, so I, I want to preserve you. I want to help you. I want to train you so that, you know, you go through this. And, and then she goes, well, I know something that you don't. And I said, really? She goes, yeah, my teacher told me something to tell you that you probably don't know. And I said, what is that? She said, what's a derivative? And I said, I don't know. So we had a little bit of a, you know, humbling moment there, both of us. But I want to raise up my kids to not only experience the love that their earthly dad has for them, but to point them to their perfect heavenly father that has all the love for them, that will help them through every season. So worship team, you can come back up. Uh, I want to encourage you, wherever you are, whatever season of life uh, may look like, uh, whatever is uh, stirring in your heart, what does it look like to receive from the Lord? Before we walk out of here, we already celebrated communion. We, we celebrated and we thanked him for his death and we, we thanked them for, for, for his body and his blood that was poured, broken and poured out for us. Before we leave this morning, I wonder what it looks like to receive from God's perfect love. Because if we miss that, I think we've missed it all. Again, it, it's so easy to talk about what to do and how to respond, but, but can we just take a moment to receive? First John is written by this guy named John. 
and he was an apostle. He was close, one of Jesus' closest friends, and he often called himself in the Gospel of John uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He really, really, really knew the love of the Father. He knew that Jesus came to, to love him in, in, in a powerful way. And, and he wrote this in 1 John 4.10. He said that this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so maybe the first step for you this morning is to receive his perfect love for the first time, to recognize that there is nothing that we can do to earn God's love, that he is a God who pursues us. He's a God who chose us. He's a God who loved us, given no merit of our own. It's a love that will never change no matter what we do. And it's a God, it's a love that actually wants to preserve us. And thank God that, again, it's not a checklist that we need to check. It's, it's just a yes that we need to vocalize with our mouth, a, a profession of faith to say yes to Jesus. So wherever you are, I just encourage you to close your eyes and, and let's pray together. God, we, we thank you for this love that is outside of anything that we can conjure or deserve. Lord, I thank you for the fact that your love is enough for us. I pray that we would all personally receive from you before we walk out of this place. And Father, if there's anyone in the house that is yet to say yes to you, Jesus, as their Lord and as their Savior and feels that, that compelling uh, spirit in, inside of them, thank you that, that you say it's simple. You just want us to posture our hearts towards you and, and vocalize and say, yes, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you lived a perfect life so that you could pay the perfect price for my sin. You paid it in full. It's complete. It's finished. Thanks to your life, death, and resurrection, I have now eternal and everlasting life. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time, I encourage you to tell somebody that you came with, come forward and, and tell me, and let's not walk this life alone. Lord, as, as we close, I, I thank you that this is your house and this is your time so that we can spend with you. May we respond as you are calling us.